Hello and welcome to another episode of the Livia's Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Breitkopf. And thank you so much for listening. Today we've got an interesting topic on hand, so I brought in someone who I feel is an expert in this topic. Uh, we're going to be talking about uh, college applications, uh, the college application process, and uh, some spe- a specific population of students who might be worried or concerned about that coming up. And my guest today is Dr. Andrew Snyder. Uh, Andy, how you doing? I'm doing very well, Jason. Thanks for having me today. So before we launch into the topic, uh, since you're, uh, this is your first time as a guest on the pod, uh, could you tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, your experience, so the uh, audience can uh, know a little bit more about you? Sure. Uh, most recently, I am a college professor. I direct the educational leadership program at Rhode Island College. I teach graduate courses to aspiring principals and guidance counselors. Before that, I spent um, many years as a school guidance counselor at a couple of Northeast prep schools. I also was a middle school principal and taught history and Latin. Uh, Over the last almost 30 years, I've worked with over 1,100 families on the college admissions process. So in other words, you've got some experience in this. I have some experience in this. All right, good. That's what I was hoping to hear. So, and again, I've had a lot of really great college counselors on the pod who've talked about a lot of different topics. And some of the things we're going to talk about today overlap with that. But I always like to feel, uh, I always feel it's important to get a different perspective on these issues uh, from people who have different experiences. So uh, please don't feel like you're stepping on anybody's toes. Of course. You know, I have a feeling what you're going to say is going to line up pretty well with anything that we touch on where we've already talked about this with other college counselors. So the topic today is the uh, college application timeline for juniors. And one of the reasons why I wanted to talk about that is that it's uh, February right now, if you're listening at home, and maybe you've caught up with this podcast sometime in the future, it's February of 2019, and uh, most seniors have finished their college application process, and a lot of college counselors and guidance counselors at schools of every type public schools versus private schools, charter schools versus large public school districts, uh, have all started to turn their attention to the junior class that's coming up on this process. So first off, uh, is there anything in particular juniors should be thinking about uh, at this point in their process? Absolutely. Uh, This is a great time to really get going on the process as a student, as a parent, as a family. Um, I think there are three things that, um, that should be taking place right now. Number one, the student has likely received back about a month ago his or her PSAT score reports. And what can happen now is planning for any tutoring or teaching or remediation on certain sections, as well as planning a calendar for standardized testing, whether it's SATs or ACTs or SAT subject tests. That can happen right now. The second thing that I recommend to all of my families in the winter months is that they get onto campus any campus right now. If it's a boy and we are talking right now just outside of Boston, I would even recommend a boy visit Wellesley College, an all-women's college where there's no way 
he will gain admission. Nevertheless, a visit to Wellesley campus, the Wellesley College campus, will show this family what a suburban setting, what a small liberal arts college looks like, uh, what a beautiful campus looks like, what they might think about access to an urban center, and what facilities uh, they will look for as the search continues. Right now, it's more important to develop a list of general and specific and non-negotiable search criteria than it is to develop a list of six or eight or 12 schools. The third thing that should be happening right now, and it's indeed happening in most high schools, the planning from junior year to senior year is taking place now. So as you said, Jason, meetings with guidance counselors uh, are happening with juniors and it's time to look at uh, courses for senior year. It's time to look at activities, possible uh, chances for leadership roles, and uh, other things that might be, that might lie ahead for that current junior. Those are the three things that I would put forward as the the big deals, the big rocks to deal with right now. Well, that, that's actually really interesting because when I've spoken with other counselors uh, about these issues, it kind of lines up with what they've said and their perspectives with a couple of uh, specific details to be explored. So I'm gonna go through each of the three things you talked about uh, in, in a little bit more detail. And I might go uh, through them a little bit out of order from the way you talked about them just because um, there's some burning questions on my mind. And I wanna start with the get on campus suggestion, your second suggestion, get on campus. And the specific example that you just used, which I thought was fascinating, which was Wellesley College. And even if you said uh, a, you're, the student in question is a boy, the point of visiting Wellesley is not that they're going to get into Wellesley, which they will not, uh, but to see what that type of campus looks like. Yes. And that is a fascinating thing for me. So, again, we, we are currently uh, in the Boston metropolitan area. We're west of Boston in a small city called Newton. Uh, so we have access to a lot of great colleges and universities. But let's say a person lives in, and they're listening to this podcast and they live in North Dakota. Uh, and then, or they live uh, in, you know, West Texas. Uh, they live in a place where they don't necessarily have access to uh, a Wellesley College. And whether the student in question is That's a boy fair. or a girl, um, would you say that visiting a small uh, liberal arts college in their area, like if a person's in North Dakota and they take the trip to Minnesota and they go see Carleton College or St. Olaf, is that going to give them kind of that that feel of the liberal arts college in New England if that's their goal or dream? It will give them enough of a feel that we can work with that student and extrapolate from their visit to Carleton, St. Olaf's, McAllister, and say, well, if you liked that, and you liked the proximity to Minneapolis-St. Paul, if you liked the weather, if you liked the way they approach the, their core curriculum, then in that case, 
you should really explore, and, oh, excuse me, and you want to be in New England, in New York, in kind of the extended Northeast, in that case, you should really explore Middlebury or Hamilton or Colgate. And so while right now it might only be feasible to visit local schools, it's important to gather those characteristics, those criteria that will drive the search going forward. That, that makes a lot of sense to me. And one thing that I've encountered when I've been working with students is a student will come to me and they'll have a preliminary list as a junior and it will be, um, I've had actually multiple students say this to me, their list is uh, Wisconsin, Michigan, Ohio, and Nebraska. And my response to that student is, why those schools? Because I've heard of them. They, 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 they are top schools in college football. And my dad and I watch college football on Saturdays. I've heard of those schools. Right. Well, what about the, what about those schools interest you, uh, Timmy, the student? Uh, well, I don't know. I don't know anything about the school other than they have top flight uh, college football programs, and I've heard of the school. How do you break through that? That's an excellent question. Uh, there are so many search engines, um, and I'm not talking about Google, but working through College Board, working through Naviance or the new Naviance competitor score, which is S-C-O-I-R.com. Um, all of these have wonderful search, um, search engines that allow students to put in various or varied criteria, size of school, potential major, school spirit or rah-rah-ness. Uh, <laughs> Uh, Greek life, that is, fraternities and sororities. Mm -hmm. um, it's, uh, I certainly acknowledge that name recognition and prestige value play some role in probably everybody's search. It's hard for me to uh, pitch to a student a school that she or he has never heard of mm -hmm. or the parents have never heard of. Um, nevertheless, that's what, um, that's what an expert, that's what an experienced college counselor can do. That person can take those search criteria and say, you know, I really appreciate why you're interested in Wisconsin, Michigan, The Ohio State University, or Nebraska, but if you're looking for that and relationships with professors and um, the opportunity to do uh, significant internships or have a job and you're looking for this and that and the other thing, then why don't we look at these other three schools as we meet today? Right. And one thing I want to talk about, and one of the reasons I bring up Carlton as an example, I did for the Wellesley example just a few minutes ago, is um, not, and take this with a grain of salt, the U.S. News and World Report has those lists that they publish every sure. year. And again, you know, they have their criteria and they're, they take them for what they are. They're not the be-all and end-all, um, but they are a data point that a Absolutely. lot of parents look at. Um, I always take them with a grain of salt. But Carlton College is always in the top 10 for liberal arts colleges in the country, uh, which means it's... You know, it's one of the most prestigious, well-known schools according to at least some criteria. When I was in high school, when I was applying to college, I never heard of it. I never heard of that school. The, I heard about Carleton when I went to graduate school 
And at the graduate school that I attended in California, there were three students who had gone to Carleton. And I became very close friends with them, and it, that inspired me to look up that school and learn more about it. And that's when I realized, wow, this is a really prestigious liberal arts college. It's up there with the Wellesleys and, and Bowdens and Bryn Mars of the world. How come I never heard of this? And it's because I grew up in New Jersey. It's in Minnesota, and I went to call. I was looking for college and going to college in the late '80s through mid '90s. So that's pre like internet era. It was harder for me to find out about schools that weren't close by. Absolutely. And the same is true now. If you live in the greater Boston area, it's hard for me to talk to parents about schools greater than a comfortable driving distance Mm -hmm. because they look at these maps and say there are 200 colleges and universities within 100 miles Mm -hmm. of our home. Why should we look any further? And... It's about finding the fit, Mm -hmm. Jason. The whole process of coming up with the list is finding those schools where the student will do his best work, where the student will continue on her path to becoming her best self, whatever that means. So it's not just Amherst, Williams, Colgate, Middlebury, Bowdoin. I want students to explore Lawrence in Wisconsin or Grinnell in Iowa mm-hmm. or Pomona outside of Los Angeles. Mm. Uh, these are among the best small liberal arts colleges in the country. And the fact that we don't see a lot of those window stickers right. on the back of cars here doesn't detract from their excellence. I agree. Uh, one of the things that I've talked about on the pod a lot, and listeners, uh, long-time listeners of the pod will, will find this familiar, is, uh, is my assertion that you can get a good education anywhere. You can get a good education anywhere. I've told stories about experiences I've had with professors who teach at Salem State or teach at Cal State University Northridge uh, or other schools that are not as famous or prestigious as a lot of the schools that we've just been talking about. But the in-class part of it, you know, you can get a good education anywhere because there are good professors, good teachers at so many of these schools for me when I'm working with a student it really is about what you were just talking about the fit it's about understanding that Timmy or Tina are going to live on campus for four years that's going to be their home for four years they have to feel comfortable there they have to feel like they're going to be productive there they have to feel like that this is a place that's going to make them happy one story I like to tell is uh, I went to Brandeis University, which is very close to where we are here in Massachusetts. Uh, it was the exact right fit for me. I loved my experience there. I don't even know if I've mentioned this to you. On graduation day, my girlfriend, who's now my wife and I, were literally weeping, like like ugly crying because we were so upset that we were graduating. We wanted to stay for as long as possible. Uh, 15-minute drive away is, a, is another very prestigious college university called Boston College. Great school. But it is a Jesuit Catholic university. As a Jewish person, I don't think I would have been comfortable living on that campus for four years. It wouldn't have been the right environment for me, no matter how good the education. I would not have been happy, probably, and I was where I went because I looked at more than just the educational experience. I looked at the emotional, social, cultural experience as well. I think that's so important. Um, Jason, wherever these young people go to college, they're going to spend eight hours a day sleeping. 
<laughs> Probably not in a row because the college afternoon nap is just a oh, yeah. thing of wonder oh, yeah. uh, that I have not recaptured in the last almost 30 years. They'll spend eight hours a day sleeping. They'll spend two hours a day in the dining hall. Uh, and if you haven't been on campus recently, the salad bars and the pizza bars and the delis and the vegan and vegetarian offerings, the food has just gotten so much better than the carbohydrate-laden stuff that I went through. They'll spend two hours a day eating, they'll spend three or four hours a day in class, and they'll spend two to four hours a day studying, depending upon what they're used to. And that leaves seven hours a day, Jason, and more on weekends, obviously, when they're not sleeping, eating, going to class, and studying. So what do you want those hours to be like? Mm -hmm. What do you want to be doing? With whom do you want to be doing it? And where do you want to be doing it? The seven hours a day that you're not sleeping, eating, going to class, and studying. Now, if you're playing a uh, varsity intercollegiate sport, a lot of those hours are taken up. But if you're not, um, I went to Trinity College in Hartford. Um, my hours were spent, um, I was a DJ at the radio station. I did some community service work. I was on the board of the Hillel, the Jewish student organization on campus. And, oh, in the fall, I played varsity water polo, but that wasn't kind of a year-round gig. Oh, wow. Um, so it's the search for mm -hmm. the fit is not just about the classes and the professors mm -hmm. and the research opportunities. It's what you want those other hours to be like, what you want to be doing. So when you make those college visits, being able to look around and seeing what the students are up to, are they engaged with each other or do they have those big earmuff headphones on and they're kind of in their own world? In the cafeteria or the snack bar or the coffee shop, are the tables set up in fours, eights, or are most of the tables set up for individuals or very mm -hmm. small conversations? Um, and that sets a tone or a climate that the college seeks to create mm -hmm. um, and nurture. Uh, look at the weekly or the daily student newspaper what are the big issues on campus? What are college students happy about, angry about, interested in, engaged in? Look at the bulletin boards as you go through the dorms. What are they advertising? Is somebody advertise, are most of the ads for a futon or a used laptop? Or are the ads for a symposium or a guest speaker? Or are the... Uh, or the flyers mostly for social events and parties that weekend. You get a really good sense of the character, the climate, the culture of a school 
by visiting. And that is, I have to say, that's harder to do online and it's nearly impossible to do with just a guidebook. Right, right. The official tour is great and important, but you have to kind of go off the beaten track to get that. I would love to talk about this more, and I might actually ask you to come back and talk about some more questions I have about this, but I do want to talk, uh, sure. briefly touch on the other two points that you made initially, and I want to go to the third point, which is planning that junior year to senior year transition, selecting classes, and I'm going to ask you a question I've asked several other counselors on the podcast. Uh, in your opinion, how important are AP classes? Students should be taking the most rigorous courses in which they can do well. Okay. I'm, fre I'm frequently asked, uh, Andy, which is better, to get the B in the AP class or the A in the level below? Right. Uh, school, many schools call it honors or right. college prep. I get that question, um, too. And the answer that I always give is, well, it's, it's the trick answer. The correct answer to that question is, you get the A in the AP course. <laughs> but the truth is, college admission offices are looking for not only your ability to succeed in advanced or rigorous or challenging courses, but they take that as your willingness to step out and challenge yourself to take advantage of the cool opportunities that your school offers. If you're doing that at your school, you're most likely going to continue that pattern at their college. So it's not just about are you taking the hardest courses available to you, it's are you following your path or your themes do, does your choice for next year's course load, does it make sense given where you've been? If you haven't set yourself up well for AP Calculus, then what are you doing taking AP Calculus? Mm -hmm. That's just going to be a mess. <laughs> yeah. Um, but if you are thinking, you know, Jason, I don't know really what where my life is going, but it's going to have something to do with engineering and I think maybe computers or I don't really know, but I know if it's engineering, I'm going to need some serious math, I'm going to need some serious physics, mm -hmm. and I might even want to take um, an advanced art course, a drawing or a mechanical design course. Uh, or or a CAD, a computer a computer aided drafting and design course. Um, what is that course load, and how does it fit this student's story mm -hmm. that they'll be telling in their application? Does that that does that answer that, your question? Yeah, that does. I mean, I'm glad because we have talked about this topic with other counselors. And while the content of the answer is obviously different, the, the overall feeling of the answer is very similar, and it, it kind of matches up with what I was thinking about that. I advise students to take the challenging courses. I advise them to um, put the work into Excel in them and to kind of fit back to my story uh, and, and kind of how I advise people is when I had the chance to take AP classes in high school, I took two history APs my senior year. I took AP English 
my senior year. But when I was offered the chance to take an AP Science or AP Calculus, I very quickly declined that because I knew I wasn't going to do well. I knew I wasn't going to excel, much less mm-hmm. uh, I was even worried about succeeding in those classes because they weren't my strengths. In fact, my fourth AP class was Music Theory and Literature. And again, I'd taken three years of that as freshman through junior year. You know, Music and Theory 1, 2, and 3. It made sense for you. It set me up for success that year. And in fact, I've said this on the pod before, in my opinion, the Music Theory and Lit AP exam was the hardest of the four I took. Uh, It was very challenging compared to, in my experience, the AP English and the two AP History ones, which had long essays (laughs) on them. But, you know, it's just a topic that requires a lot of extra practice that's outside your regular classes. But that, your senior year courses, Jason, that helps tell your story. Mm -hmm. Um, Because in your junior year, you took English, math, history, science, and a foreign language. But you're saying that in your senior year, you doubled up in history. Mm -hmm. So something, you gave something up. Mm -hmm. And that, whatever that was, whether it was I stopped taking this foreign language or I I did not take a fourth year of lab science, whatever it was, that helps tell your story. Mm -hmm. That helps your counselor and um, and yourself differentiate your application from others in the pile. Great. Thank you so much. Um, I'm glad we're, we're on the same page there. The, th- the other topic you talked about was uh, S- PSAT results and SATs. And we've had a whole episode on uh, setting up a-, a test prep timeline. So I'm going to let that one go for now. Uh, any other thoughts on your mind before we wrap things up, Andy? I would just emphasize getting out there, getting onto campus, and trying to develop those criteria that are going to drive the list making process. I think that's the best thing that a student, that a family can be doing right now. Excellent. I agree completely. Thank you so much. Andy, thank you for being on the podcast. My pleasure. And thank you this for... Was fun. Oh, <laughs> I didn't mean to cut you off. And thank you to those listening at home. Uh, I always appreciate our listeners out there. If you like this episode, please remember to hit the star, heart, fave, thumb up button, whatever your podcast app, listening app of choice lets you do to let us know you like it. Uh, you can always share this, hit that share sheet, send these episodes out, share with your friends, family, coworkers, colleagues, etc. Even share with your enemies, uh, show off how much uh, smarter you are. And uh, of course... Uh, subscribe that way you get these episodes downloaded to your phone or other listening device as they post you don't have to search us out every time and if you do have a comment or want to ask a question unfortunately most podcast apps don't let you do that so we have a twitter account hop onto twitter at livius pod ask us a question leave us a, a a comment and look out for notifications when episodes post thank you so much for listening and as always let's keep learning